Welcome to the Parish Art Museum podcast, where we aspire to provide opportunities for learning, sharing, and celebrating the many innovative and pioneering artists who call the East End home. Come back each week to find new and impactful experiences in the arts. Good evening. Hi. I'm Alicia Longwell. I'm the Lewis B. and Dorothy Coleman Chief Curator here at the museum, and I think I know most of you out there in the dark. <laughs> this is so wonderful to see you. This is our first art opening of this, well, our student art open, which is still up, and you have a wonderful chance to see that. Our uh, first opening for our art shows, the Jasper Johns prints, which is absolutely astonishing. Anyone who thought perhaps they'd seen enough Jasper Johns <laughs> this year, could just think again. It's an extraordinary collection of work. It's from the, from the Walker in Minneapolis, which set out to have almost a complete uh, compendium of uh, John's work. I'm welcoming you on behalf of our deputy director and our board of trustees, quite a few of whom are here tonight, which is wonderful to see. Let me just say our new deputy director, Melanie Crater, could not be with us this evening, and she's very, very disappointed. She'll be here at the next opening. But wanted to welcome you, and I'm sure you will be able to welcome her at our next opening, which comes up in, wow, a little more than a month. So stay tuned. I want to thank everyone who worked on the exhibition here from tonight's event to the preparators and the curatorial department and our wonderful registrar who made this delightful bouquet complete with paintbrushes and a savouring can, Chris McNamara. She's the best. <laughs> I thought it would be wonderful this evening. I can't think of a better person to be here with us than Larissa Goldston, and I'll just tell you why right now. The print atelier, may I say? ULAE, Universal Limited Arts Editions, which was founded in 1955, is still going strong because Larissa is uh, there, uh, following in the footsteps of both the founder, Tatiana Grossman, and her father, William Goldston, uh, who continue this legacy of printmaking. Over half the prints in the show, I believe, uh, were made at ULAE. Uh, Jasper John's relationship with that um, printmaking workshop are long and deep, and uh, to this day, for his 60 years of art making. Larissa, as you might have detected, was, is the daughter of William Goldston, so literally grew up at ULAE. Uh, she went on to George Washington University and majored in art history for which we're very <laughs> glad you like the arts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right? The only one in the family. Yes, right. Uh, I had her own gallery, uh, the Larissa Goldston Gallery, for about a decade. And yep. Yep. And uh, now is pretty much full-time since her father has re retired, pretty much. Loosely. But is still busy working, actually, with Jasper Johns, um, uh, running the business, so to speak. Anyway, I think you probably recognize these two gentlemen. I thought it would be wonderful to start with this because this was the beginning of ULE. Yep. This, um, Larry and Frank were what was considered the first project that ULE published, <clears throat> which actually didn't come to fruition until 1960, mm -hmm. but was begun in 1957. 
And I'll tell you very quickly, just a, a, I can't tell you the entire arc of the history because it would take up our entire time. But it's significant to understand that the home that you saw that was up here before where Tanya and Maurice were standing outside of that is based out of West Islip. And they had come out to Long Island where many of their friends were living to find a summer residence. <clears throat> and in that, at that residence, there were these stepping stones leading up to the house. And at one point in time, they dug one of those, those stepping stones up and had, were completely mystified by what it was. And the next door neighbor said, well, that's a Bavarian lithographic stone. Wow. She, she said, well, what do you do with it? She, he said, well, I happen to have a lithographic press. And you draw on it, and then you print images from it, which was not a foreign concept of her because her father had been a typographer. So using those stones, actually, was what Larry and Frank began drawing on. And the story of meeting Larry was she was on her way back to Paris after the occupation. She had left in a hurry, which is a beautiful story, which I'll tell another time. In 1950, she was on her way back to Paris, and Larry was on that boat and she fell absolutely in love with him. Um, That's Larry Rivers. Larry Rivers, sorry. Um, no, no, yeah. I think we all. <laughs> and she had stayed in touch with him, and when this whole thing with the home and the, <clears throat> the stone had come about, she thought about how she was going to take care of the family. Maurice had had a heart attack. He could no longer um, go back and forth to the city and go up and down in their Manhattan apartment, so they moved out full time, and she thought, what can I do? Um, to make money, and, and what she thought of was Livre des Artistes, where she wanted to publish books with poets and artists, and then she would sell the rights to Harry Abrams, who happened to be a good friend of hers, and that would make them the millions of dollars that they needed to live. <coughs> That never happened. But Larry agreed to meet with her to discuss the project. And a friend of hers from Grove Press had said, I really want you to think about working with Frank O'Hara. He's a brilliant young poet. And when she went out to his home and suggested that they do this project, Larry said, Frank, will you come down here? And Frank was at the house the day that she suggested it. And so they all decided that it was divine providence. I'll say. <laughs> and they began working on the project. But Frank was so busy, he couldn't work. And so Larry started doodling on other stones that were there. And Bob Blackburn, who was the first printer of ULEE, started printing those oh, on I random sheets. You didn't know that? I didn't even realize yeah. that. Wow. She had gone to Cooper Union, and they had suggested Bob. And Bob wow, you know, came out amazing. to work with her for a little while. That's amazing. So for an origin story, discovering the lithograph, a stone in the garden. <laughs> exactly. And remembering Larry Rivers. Who wouldn't remember Larry from a transatlantic <laughs> crossing, right? They were a lot longer in those days, they were. probably. But uh, the st wonderful story of Tatiana Grossman and founding this print atelier in the, in the European tradition. And I think you will see that. These wonderful pictures I love of all the lunches that she would have. Well, and Just Larry really... was instrumental because yeah. Larry was the one who was friends with Helen Frankenthaler, okay. who was married to Robert Motherwell at the time. He was friends with Grace Hardigan and Lee Bontecu. And so he brought, he would say to them, go help this older woman who was not, <laughs> not so old at the time, go help her and her husband and, and draw on stones, make some prints. And yeah. that's how it started. Um, and then, you know, in 1960, Tanya had by then become very entrenched in the art world, and she was close with Leo Castelli. And 
she saw Jasper's first show at Leo's gallery, and she became consumed with figuring out how to get Jasper to the studio. And so she wrote letter after letter after letter until he finally said, I've got to get this woman to stop writing letters to me, and answered and said, I will come when I'm back in, in New York. And this, he came, and they did this all this. This is 1960. 1960. Yeah. She early. started writing, I think, in 1959, 1958. <laughs> and he came in 1960. And Persistence, I think. Persistence, <laughs> persistence. And, you know, the true story of how Jasper's involved with the business was when Tanya died in 1982. She left the business to a portion of it to my father, and then the other half to Jasper, Bob, Rauschenberg, and a, another silent partner. And so the Rauschenberg Foundation still remains an owner, Jasper still remains an owner, and then I have, I bought out the other partner, and so ah, it's primarily. Right. So they weren't involved with the day-to-day -day no. running ever? <clears throat> no, right. just she wanted to ensure that there was never one vision that was taken in case it weren't the vision that she wanted to see through, so she wanted artists to be involved. For someone almost to have come by chance into this career, she seems so perfectly suited. <laughs> Amazing. Persuasive. Persuasive. She was very persistent and very persuasive. Yeah. Yeah. When did she die? How long did she live? She died in 1982. 82. Yeah, she died in July. She was only 78, but she had had a rare blood disorder. I mean, she'd had a very complicated life, but she had a rare blood disorder. So, Johns has worked with ULAE for what, over 60 years? Yeah, 1960, and has continued to make prints throughout the entirety of his life. Um, right. There was a, a time period when Jasper, so if for those of you who understand printmaking, traditional lithography is a transfer process, a direct transfer process, where you have to draw backwards in order to get the image that you want correctly on the piece of paper, because it goes directly from the stone to the piece of paper. And in 1971, right after my father had arrived, Tanya, he convinced Tanya to buy a um, offset lithographic press so she could produce the books that she wanted to do, and she wanted to do them on Jasper 0 through 9, which he had published in night from 1960 to 1963. And my father was toying around with some things for the book, and Jasper saw some of the proofs that were coming off of that and said, what is that, and how did you do it? And he said, well, I have this press that's over at the other place. It's called an offset lithographic press. And he said, I want to, I want to see it. This would mean I wouldn't have to draw backwards. <laughs> um, and Tanya was completely beside herself thinking, no, this is, these are like you know, books and posters, and you don't want to do this. And she was, really, she was really beside herself. And Jasper was completely flabbergasted and fascinated by it. Um, and Decoy, which is one of the prints that's in the show, was one of the first print that came off that press. Mm -hmm. um, as an art piece, as a, as a formal art piece. And for those of you who don't know, it goes from a plate to a blanket back down to a sheet of paper, and that's what makes it offset. Offset lithography for posters is a four-color separation where you take a photograph of a painting and you separate it into four colors and you put it together and it looks like the painting. What Jasper does is he draws individual plates, and all those plates then come together to make a final image, making it a unique addition. How much has technology influenced the printmaking that you do? Um, uh, we're trying to be at the forefront of it every step of the way. I think when lithography came out, etchers were saying it's the end of it's the end of printmaking, real printmaking. 
um, that wasn't the case. Uh, digital photography through every, I mean, digital printmaking through everybody for a loop. And so we were there at the beginning. Um, we started working with paper makers, inkjet people, understanding how the inks would work, how to make them light fast, how to make them water fast. We made our first digital print, I think in 2003, I feel like, with Carol Dunham, mm -hmm. where we had printed the background all with a digital color, then soaked it in a, in a wet bath, and then laid down etching plates down on top of it. So I think the idea is that you're constantly pushing the printmaking medium and trying to figure out how to be at the forefront of it. Speaking of, well, <clears throat> and how you relate, how Tatiana had her, you know, she really had her pulse beat on what was yeah. going on in the art world and knew the artists, and that continues to this day. Um, I'm sure they don't call you, you call them. Well, lots of them <laughs> do call us, but we prefer they don't. <laughs> How but do you look at young, younger generations? We, I mean, I'm constantly, I, I had a gallery, I was running a gallery that was showing ULE prints, but also doing unique things. We're at, I'm at studio visits multiple times a month looking at artists' work. Most of our working relationships come because of relationships to other artists we're working with. And so there's a more intimate involvement. Sometimes, I mean, with Kiki Smith, it was the Bill, oh, that's Bob. <laughs> nice <laughs> legs. Huh? Um, he was so <laughs> handsome when he was young. Yeah. Um, that's in the front yard at Skidmore Place. Still looks like that with the sculpture there and everything. <clears throat> so he, we are constantly, Bill, was, Bill was, saw Kiki Smith work. Uh, who was a sculptor at the time and wasn't really making right. works on paper and thought, I've got to figure out a way to work with this woman. And oh, she right. thought he was nuts, writing her notes, and who's this guy who wants to come to my house and see? And then, you know, Kiki's been making, she's in the studio making another edition now. So, and she spent a lifetime, her really adult life, making prints, a passionate, mm -hmm. passionate printmaker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think when people understand how much work goes into making a print, which is why studio visits to ULAE are important, it changes your perspective on um, how important they are and instrumental they are to an artist's career. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot, <clears throat> a lot has been written about how John's actually, his, his conceptualizing of art has a lot to do. It really yes. has more affinity with printmaking yes. almost than with his paintings or sculpture. Yes. In that you can change it or alter it or go back to it. I think, you know, Jasper is the prime example of why curators can't dismiss the value of prints because the, one of the most significant artists working in America today has dedicated his life for 62 years to a medium, and he's completely dedicated to it. It's not part of his work. It is his work. Um, right. And I think that's a very important concept for people to really understand. It takes a lot of work to make a print, much more work than it does to make a drawing or a painting because of the discipline, the time, the, the separation, the layering. It's a, it's a whole mindset and a way to think. Right, right. And I guess he might have gotten a little tired of the commute. He <laughs> made well, a studio on his own up in Connecticut, right? Right. So in the late 90s, um, when Jasper bought his estate up in Sharon, Connecticut, 
we established a printmaking studio directly in his home in Connecticut so that he wouldn't have to drive back and forth to ULE. And we sent one of our printers up there, John Lund, who printed with him for years. Um, and they established Low Road Studio, which were the smaller editions that Jasper made individually. And then the larger scale projects, we would still bring the plates back to ULE and, and print them at ULE. Amazing. Just amazing, and still going strong. I mean, still yeah. making prints. Yeah, I mean, as I was explaining to Alicia earlier, we're right now in the process of, of doing uh, archiving and cancellation proofs for for a lifetime, sixty-two years worth of prints, um, where we're taking all of the plates and canceling them now so that they can be considered as finished. Because Jasper's one of those artists that would make plates, work on those plates, started plates in 1970, and then brought them out again in 1991 and made additions from them, and then brought them out again in 1998 and changed them and made additions from them. So until you actually put that X through it and cancel it, for Jasper, they were um, fair game for using in any following edition. Never to be repeated as the same edition, always to be changed, but always to be used. So that's the literally crossing on the literally board, etching it in yes. and making a print to yes, prove to it. to say it's done. <laughs> so that no one can argue with you. So there must be an incredible archives at ULAE. Yes. Yes. I mean, we don't, so the, the tricky part was when Tanya first started ULAE, there was no concept that ULAE would be what it was. Um, so there was no thought about, we need to save one of everything, everything needs to be perfect. I mean, in those old days, just trying to, to um, catalog raisonne, so the papers don't match, the sizes don't match, the, the additions sometimes aren't the same, they just sign trial proofs TPs, we don't know if there were 10, we don't know if there were two. So it's, it's the record keeping, even though her record keeping was immaculate, it wasn't the same as it is now, um, thanks to Jasper mainly, who forced all of us into this very immaculate record keeping. It was a, a time where things were created and then they were sold just to keep the business going. So when Tanya died in 1982, she left the business with nearly a million dollar debt. So if you think what a million dollars was in 1982, <laughs> it was a lot of money. So um, Tanya's entire estate had to be sold and many of those were the last images of those things that we had in the ULAE collection. So we lost you know, the zero through nine or we lost Jack of Spades by Larry or things that were significant, but they went to homes of lovers and families of people who had collected from ULAE. I mean, ULAE's been lucky enough that we've been around long enough that there really is a collecting history. There are people who have supported ULAE from the beginning who built amazing and phenomenal collections. Um, some of them really still intact and have one of everything Jasper ever did, which is an extraordinary undertaking. There's that's Kiki, Kiki in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's Richard Tuttle, and that was a really fun story. Richard Tuttle and Bill, Bill going to town, um, making actually a, a, a piece of, of of copper to print with a fiber that Richard was working on. Richard does not work in any traditional way. And this was them firing it up to, to lay it down to mash on it um, with that, I don't know what the tool is called, forgive me for not knowing, before they went in to ink it and print it on the sheet of paper. Wow. This is an offset press. So that, that blue thing is the rubber blanket which picks up the image. Mm. This is where the, the paper would lay and this is where the plate would lay, and so that would run over and pick up the image on, off the plate and lay it right down onto the piece of paper. That's huge. Yeah, it's big. 
<laughs> looks bigger in the picture, but it is pretty big. Now, how, how many printers actually work with you um, at a time? Or? That's the original oh. Stonewall oh. Uh, at Skidmore Place. We have right now currently, I have two young kids working for me who are training. And then I have um, three older, very veteran printers mm. working mm. in the studio. Mm. And, and, you know, anywhere from five to two at any given time, I think. But right. we've stayed consistently probably around five. We've got a lot of work going. <laughs> this was pulling um, a Jasper image Regret. called Regrets, yeah. which there was a MoMA show that was based on these images. Um, and this is an etching. So most of his last group of work has been etchings, only primarily because his studio up in Connecticut was set up for etching. Mm -hmm. Regrets I love. John's made a stamp that said, Jasper John's Regrets. So, and he would just put it on invitations and send them back. <laughs> he said he hated not to respond. <laughs> oh, that's um, Christopher Wool working in the studio. Christopher Wool, yeah. That's recent. This is working on a recent. We just published mm -hmm. um, three new portfolios with Richard, oh, with, with Christopher. Mm -hmm. So um, the studio now, we have two Martin Purrier projects going, a large Carol Dunham portfolio happening. Wyatt Khan, who's a young artist, and Sam Moyer, who are young. Oh, Carmen Herrera. Oh, uh, look. Uh, yes, that was a big loss um, for all of us. She, was, she started at ULE at the sprite young age of 101. <laughs> um, and it was truly my honor to work with her at, during those, those five and a half oh, years sure. we really worked together. And, and she and Tanya knew many of the same people, and it was really a memory experience for me to be with her because she possessed the same kind of tenacity and she was a spitfire just like Tanya was. And so there was a lot of memory wrapped up in it. So I do miss her terribly. Mm -hmm. This is Skidmore Place as it is today in West Islip. And we still run the, the stone lithography studio out of those glass doors that you can see. And then this side of the house usually houses an intern we take from Oklahoma State University every semester just because my father went to Oklahoma State University and decided Good. he wanted to plop kids out of the Midwest and stick them in New York and see what happens. I, oh, I love this. Oh. Yeah, this is my favorite. Yeah, this is absolutely Hans Namath photograph. Yeah. As John's is famous for taking take an object, do something to it, do something else to it. It's true. <laughs> it was direct line from the 20th century from Duchamp to John's. And Two he's of done them it. said it all. Yes, they did. And he's done yes, it they over did. and over and over again. I'm sh Larissa, would you take some questions if sure. anyone has? Sure. Technical or otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> we'll repeat this. What is the difference between? Yeah. <laughs> what is the difference between an intaglio and a lithograph? Okay, so an intaglio is made on a copper plate generally. An intaglio is a blanket description for any form of etching a plate. So it could be dry point, it could be soft ground, it could be spit bite, it could be aqua tin, it could describe any of the techniques 
that happen when you're making a quote etching, which is just another terminology for intaglio. Lithograph is made on a ball grain plate or a lithographic stone. So it's just a different medium. It's a different way to draw and then a different way to print. There are two different forms of printmaking. Okay. I actually interned for Robert Blackburn mm -hmm. in New York City. Um, I was just curious what, and also it was very social media. It's called the connection to too many things at once. I mean, really it is. It is the connection of the computer, the internet, the, the necessity to be somewhere, be commun in communication with someone all the time, that artists are now in such demand from so many different ways that the idea of taking time out to go spend days, weeks, months working on a single project is really complicated for them to work out. And what we find is we really need to infect them with the bug of printmaking before they really realize it. And, and we're working with some of those young artists, making them understand what that, that passion is. But it's, I mean, we were going through, right. looking through all these photos, just like the party photos. Getting, I mean, the, they were a concentration of the most significant people in the art world curators, gallery owners, collectors, everyone you could imagine were at the, the ULAE parties. Um, getting that many people to one place in, in a, for a party in Bayshore, Long Island, would be really complicated now, <laughs> even for a party. And they had Larry Rivers in the E Street Band would play jazz. I mean, it was fabulous. But it's just, a, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs, but it's just the way things are now. Everyone's too connected and too in demand for their time. And so those who understand the older generation, the, the, the Tip Dunhams and Terry Winters and Unfortunately, we've lost many of that generation as well, but um, the Kikis, they, they're still focused because they remember that time period of really working. I think it went through the 90s. I mean, we were, it was very successful through the 90s, and then into the 2000s, it got more and more complicated um, to get people committed to the time that it takes to make a print. I don't know if that answers your question, but. <laughs> so on, on average, what, what would it be? How much time? Yeah. Well, I think it depends. I mean, Eddie Martinez yeah, is a young guy we're working with, yeah. and Eddie is a bit ADD, and so he doesn't actually respond well to the layering and the printmaking, that, the time that it takes to proof a lithograph. Mm -hmm. So what we found was he really does well with monoprints because he's drawing <laughs> directly onto these Lexan plates like he's painting, and then they are printed, and he sees the result immediately, and he's thrilled. His wife, Sam Moyer, who's working with us, I mean, she'll come out every single week for months until she gets the edition she wants to work on. And she's, we just found hundreds of broken stones in the background. And she, her work, if you know her paintings, is made from stones that she finds in quarries and yeah. places like that. She's just took a whole bunch of them, and we've started inking them and printing them, and she's putting them together. And, and so it just depends on the personality. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
Do you ever have anything open to the general public or tours or education programs for the schools or anything like that? The parish is coming. <laughs> the parish is coming on May 16th. Um, we do. We can't do it daily because otherwise we wouldn't get production done. But we do have tours. The Whitney's coming on Thursday. You know, we have museum group tours, docent tours. People can arrange to come depending on what our schedule is like and who's working in the studio at the time. We don't like to have people through when an artist is working just because it's disruptive to their workday. Mm -hmm. But yes, yes. Well. I think if you haven't seen the show, please take a moment now, and I'm sure our, oh, here, one more. Uh, just has his own printing shop in his chat Yes. So how much does he still work so it's a it's it's really a we're in constant contact um, with him, but the the small plates, the small additions that he was working on to keep his time, to keep his mind going, and everything, were all done at Low Road because they weren't worth the time of taking away from the studio's time. He understood that, but he wanted to produce them anyway. So the larger projects that he makes. We do them because John couldn't handle doing them independently up at the Low Road studio. They didn't have a press at the same scale that we had, that kind of idea. So it's, I mean, now he's not exactly making a lot of prints. He made three, I think, that were in 20, between 2019 and 2021 that were in the Whitney show. But right now he doesn't have plans in particular to make any at the moment, but we're, we're, we're working on it. So great. Thank you all for coming. Perfect. Perfect.